right, well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. If you're new around here, my name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. And uh, man, if you are kind of new, I'd love to say hello. Our team would love to say hello right after the service in the lobby. I'd uh, love to get to know you, hear your name, find out a little bit about your story, and just welcome you. Hey, if you got a copy of the scriptures, will you join me in Acts chapter 7? Acts chapter 7 is where we're going to be today. As a church, we take books of the Bible, kind of read through them, study them, hear the words, and kind of learn and grow together. And we've been studying the book of Acts for a little while and made it to chapter 7. We're going to have a a, a lot of scripture I'm going to read today uh, because I want us to get a full picture of something um, and get the full context of what is happening in today's kind of kind of story. And uh, we've been studying this, learning, hey, how can we become a radiant people of God? And so today, as we uh, get into this text, we're going we're gonna to see something that really helps us become radiant people. And uh, that's going to be when we really begin to understo- understand the story of God. Knowing the story of God helps us live and reflect God and the ways of God. And we're going to see that today. Uh, Last week in Acts chapter 6, we saw that the church had been growing and they selected some men to kind of step up and help serve and minister and lead. And and one of the men selected was a man by the name of Stephen. Uh, Stephen was a man who was full of the Spirit, who had some skills and some abilities, and he was a reliable witness. And Stephen found himself in some hot water where people were lying, saying he was blaspheming and spreading lies and teaching things contrary to the truths of the Hebrew scriptures, which were lies and weren't true. But he found himself on trial where they were coming and accusing him of mishandling and teaching the wrong thing as it relates to Moses and God and their ancestors. And so he was getting ready to give a defense. And in his defense, he does something really, really fascinating. What he doesn't do is come and argue with more theological doctrine. He doesn't come uh, and stand up and argue and, and counteract something. No, he simply tells the story of God and helps them see the story of God and the redemption that came through Jesus woven through all of the Old Testament scriptures. He tried to open their eyes to see something as he told a story, which is something pretty profound, isn't it? When you hear a story, story has a way of alerting us to something. Think about maybe your favorite movie, your favorite book, maybe your favorite poem or poetry in and of itself, or or maybe just even music. How often in a song we begin to hear and understand a story unfold in it, and it links to our story. And somewhere along the way, something moves us. It motivates us. It kind of compels us to see and understand a larger perspective of life in such a small, simple way. And this is the power of story. And this is how Stephen responded. I'm going to read um, about 51 verses today. And as I read them in all its context, I want to encourage you to, to not only follow along, but listen intently to some things as you begin to hear the story of God as told by Stephen himself. Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 1, it says this, Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these accusations true? This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he even settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though he had no children yet. 
God also told him that this is that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, God said, and in the end they will come out and worship me here in this place. God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time. So when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day. And the practices continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob. And when Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs of the Israelite nation, these patriarchs were jealous, though, of their brother Joseph. And they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. But famine came upon Egypt and Canaan. There was great misery and our ancestors ran out of food. Jacob heard that there was still grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons, our ancestors, to buy some. The second time they went Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father Jacob and all his relatives to come to Egypt, 75 persons in all. So Jacob went to Egypt, and he died there, as did our ancestors. Their bodies were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb of Abraham that Abraham had bought for a certain price from Hamor, sons of Shechem. And as the time drew near, when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. And then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. The king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. And at that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months when they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. One day, when Moses was 40 years old, he, deceived, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day, he visited them again, and two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived in a, as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he went to take a closer look. The voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. So God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wondrous and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Moses was with our ancestors, the assemblies of God's people in the wilderness, and when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai, and there Moses received life-giving words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us, for we don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf, and they sacrificed to it and celebrated over this thing they had made. 
Then God turned away from them and abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven and their gods. In the book of the prophets, it is written, Was it to me you were bringing sacrifice and offerings during those 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Molech, the star of your god, Raphon, the images you made to worship them. I will send you into exile as far away as Babylon. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown to Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nation that God drove out of the the land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory, and it stayed there until the time of King David. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for God, for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Can you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Can you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? You stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Let's pray. Lord, this is the word of God. This is the word. So, Lord, would you give us ears to hear? what you're saying to us? Would you give us eyes to see how this reveals Jesus to us? Would you give us the faith and the willingness and the strength to obey what we learn as we follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, and the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And all the people of God said, Amen. What a story. Weaving from the very beginning all the way through pointing out how their ancestors was a setting stage, was setting the stage for a true redeemer to come and make right the cycle of rebellion and repentance that the people of God had been in for centuries. Did you notice how he was illustrating that Moses came to be a savior and a ruler for them? how he came to do mighty exploits and lead them to see and know God. What was Stephen doing? He was pointing out that the story of Moses was a picture and a forecast and a template so that you would recognize the real Messiah when he came, and that was Jesus. But they didn't recognize Jesus. They resisted the work of the Holy Spirit And they found themselves at odds with the story of God and God's people that was now being told and lived out in front of them. It didn't jive with what they assumed it would look like. And so they rejected the truth and lived in deception. Here we have Stephen. He was a man full of the Spirit, but was being falsely accused. Now, one of the things that put Stephen in this place was that he was a reliable witness. In other words, he was somebody who knew the story of God, who knew the story of Jesus and how all of the Old Testament scriptures were setting the stage for the ultimate redemption that Jesus would bring. And that Jesus came to produce and provide redemption for us and then was ultimately starting a new storyline about the renewal of all things in the new heavens and the new earth and the kingdom of God that was coming to them. Now he was trying to help them see some things. Have you ever found yourself in a place like Stephen where people were asking you questions about what what you believe but you weren't quite sure how to answer them? You ever found yourself in a place where somebody at work or a schoolmate or a teammate was asking you something about why do you even go to church? Why do you waste your time with that? Why do you go? Why do you even believe that the Bible's so ancient and old? It's not even trustworthy. You can't even trust the Bible. It's all old things and old people and old mindsets. Come on, get with times. Don't you know the truth? Have you ever been confronted with a question like that? 
and you weren't quite sure what to say, weren't quite sure what to do, didn't have my phone number to text me to ask me how you should respond, <laughs> trying to figure it out real quick, I, I want to help you with something, just point out one truth from today's text uh, along this line, is, and that's simply this, that when you are confronted about what you believe, as a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he will give you the right words to say. And most of the time, it's in the form of your own story of redemption that God has done in and through you. Most of the time, your testimony is about the story of God at work in your life and how you were once one way, but now you're different. How you were once selfish, but now you love to just serve God. How you once were bound in sin, but now you've been washed from the inside. And we get to sing of even our stories. In fact, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would do this for us. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, before all of this, there will be a time of great persecution, he says. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons, and you will stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. This is exactly what was happening to Stephen. On trial because he said he follows Jesus and was claiming that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. And they were putting him on trial. This is what Jesus said. When that happens, verse 13, this will be an opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you. For I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. In other words, the Holy Spirit's going to be with you and give you the right words. In John 14, Jesus was telling his disciples another time, hey, listen, I'm going to send the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. There's another passage in Timothy where the Apostle Paul is writing. He says, study to show yourself approved before men. In other words, study so that when people approach you and ask you about why you believe what you believe, you have a proper answer and response. As a kid, I remember, especially in high school, I would pray a prayer often, especially before a test, and I would say, Lord, your spirit lives in me. Would you bring back to my mind everything that I have studied for this test? Now, that's a great prayer if you've studied. <laughs> You're wasting your breath if you've never studied before. If you haven't studied and you don't have in anything in you, you don't have anything to draw from. You can't pull water from a well that you've never dug. The Holy Spirit wants to bring to your mind everything that you've heard and learned about Jesus. Here's, here's my question. Do you know the story of God? Do you know the story of God? Have, have you learned it? Have you begun to study it? Have you begun to get to know God on a personal level? Or is God just a person you visit on the weekends and sing some songs and take some bread and juice like some mystical rabbit's foot that you hope it helps your week ahead? Or have you gotten to know God? Do you know the story of God? You know what I love that Stephen did? is He took a complex story of hundreds and hundreds of years and he consolidated it down into some highlights, some key points of truths, of emphasis to help illustrate the story of God to them. He took something complex and he turned it into something concentrated. Um, over the summer, for the last couple of summers, my, my family and I have, have been buying and using these electrolyte, uh, electrolyte um, packets. You know what I'm talking about? Like you get these single use, you pour them in like a, a water bottle and it adds electrolytes into your water that you can drink and it's healthy and it helps kind of rejuvenate and enliven your, 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 your body and, and the systems in your body. I, I, I love it, especially when it's hot and you get really depleted, you kind of got to replenish a little bit. In those little bitty packets are some concentrated nutrients. It's condensed down and when you add water to it, it enlivens something for you. I think this is the beauty of things like the Nicene Creed, 
which we said at the beginning of our service today. I believe in one Lord, Father, God, Creator, Almighty of heaven and earth. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who was given from the Father and proceeds from the Son. Like, like it's consolidating. It's taking the key essentials of our faith and belief, and it has concentrated it down to a, a reduced form, powerful truths and statements to understand what you believe. So that as you recite it and you confess it, it gets into your mind and into your heart and it's on your mouth. It's a confessed life of faith that we live, that we've been invited into. And you know what I love? Is that when you have the concentrated form of understanding the truths of who God is and what his story is, and then you receive the living water of the Holy Spirit on top of it, there is something that comes alive and brings refreshment not only to you, but to those that you're interacting with. This is what it means to be a reliable witness for Jesus. And it all starts with knowing the story of God. Friends, you know God by reading the story of God. This is going to sound really elementary, but don't miss it. You know the story of God, and that's how you know God. If you want to know God read his story. And when you know the story of God, you will know God. Well, I don't really know much about God. That's because you're not reading anything about God. The Bible is God's story about him at work in humanity to bring about redemption and renewal in our world through Jesus. That's the storyline of the Bible in one sentence. You're welcome. You go back, listen to it, write it down, memorize it. Read just some electrolyte packets, consolidating it down. Listen, listen. You can't know God without reading the story of God. That's why we have this book. This Bible, this collection of writings, so that you can know God. Now, I, I get it. When we start talking about the Bible and reading the Bible, it's really easy to be like, ah, oh, man, I already feel guilty. Like, I know, like, I should read the Bible. I know it's the right thing. I just, I don't read it like I should. And I'm already feeling like a little guilty. And then, can, can I just, can I just tell you, like, if you're feeling that press and that guilt, that guilt doesn't come from God. Guilt has a way of keeping you from the very thing that you need to do. No one has ever felt guilty into doing the right thing. Like, it just doesn't work well. That's not life-giving. There's no life in that. Here's what I want you to hear, is that the story of God is an invitation from God himself for you to get to know him. There is no guilt in that. It's an invitation. Come and learn of him. Know him. Know the story of God as revealed through the scriptures and his son. This is the invitation to come and learn, to come and learn. And another reason a lot of people say like, oh, man, I, I would like to read the Bible. I think it's important to read the Bible. I would agree that it's, it's God's word. It's true. It's all those things. I, I just don't have time. That's a, it's a lot of time to read the Bible. Like, where do I... I, I, and I hear you, I, I do, I do. But some of you have read so many articles about the trash that was Thursday night's Chiefs game. It was not life-giving for any of us. But we've read plenty of stats. And you've read blogs and articles and the idea that it's like, oh, it's just, I just don't have time. That's it's just not a real excuse because because you make time for what you want to make time for and that's a hard truth to hear and then here's another one and this is probably the, the largest reason why I think a lot of people don't read the Bible is because you have bought the lie from the devil that you can't understand it I just can't understand it's just just I can't understand those words it's like reading Shakespeare If you never read Shakespeare, you'll never understand Shakespeare. The only way to understand God is to read more about God. 
Have you ever tried to put together Ikea furniture? Ain't nobody understand that, and they don't even have words. It's like, I got to repent and get saved every time I have to put together a piece of hieroglyphic furniture. Like, but I still do it. Ever read a manual on how to fix a car? (laughs) Probably didn't understand it the first time either. But the more you read it, the more you knew how to do it. Learning how to play football. Man, they, they spouting off words that mean so many things. I've never played a down of football, real football, in my life. And they're like calling plays and doing things. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Because I played Madden plenty of times. <laughs> right? Like, I've got some understanding of what they're trying to do. But I don't understand all of it. It's been one of the hardest things as a, as a football referee is trying to understand the lingo and what the heck they're talking about. I'm glad I've, I have some friends who are good guides like Trent to help me understand the words that are coming off that book. Like, it's not like, I don't I, let me read it seven more times real quick. Try to like figure this stuff out. Listen, listen, listen. You never understand something perfectly the first time. That's why you do it again. This is why it's called the practice of reading scripture. The more you do it, the more comfortable you'll become with it. No, you're not going to be good at reading the Bible the first time you read the Bible. And that's okay. Because we all are called to grow more and more. And the more you read the story of God, listen, the more you'll know God. Not facts and figures. God. This is the story of God. I want to give you some real practical things in the next 10 minutes together. Things not to do when reading the Bible and things to do when reading the Bible. Two summers ago, I taught a summer school class called How Not to Read the Bible. It was from a book cleverly called How Not to Read the Bible. Highly recommend if you are new to reading scripture, new to following God, highly recommend getting a hold of that book. It's going to talk through some things, some major objections people have with the Bible, like it's ancient. It's like pro-slavery, so many, so much killing. What's up with all the bloody mess in the Bible? Like helps you understand the context, the history, and the ways of the Bible by kind of humorously talking about how not to read the Bible. I'm going to give you six things to not do when you read the Bible, how not to read the Bible. Now, some of these are from the book, and some of them are from my own uh, kind of experience and recommendation. Here's some ways not to read the Bible. How not to read the Bible, like it's a manual, roadmap, science book, unreliable document, or irrelevant. If you're approaching the text in that perspective, you're going to misunderstand what's being said. When I was a little kid in Sunday school, they used to say the B-I-B-L-E is basic instructions before leaving earth. It's cute, it's just not accurate. It's not about instructions alone. It's so much more than that. It's not just a science book to tell you how the world was created. That's actually not the point of even the Genesis story. It's actually to reveal who God is as creator, not the scientific explanation of how the world was made. It's not the point of it. And so we miss, when we read it with the wrong lens, we, we misunderstand it. If you're reading the Bible, it's like, man, this is so irrelevant. You will absolutely misunderstand the Bible. So don't read the Bible in that way. Well, I can't trust that it's unreliable. I have taught so many times as to why the Bible is the most reliable book of, of ancient antiquity. When it comes to verifying documents of ancient antiquity and how... Um, how you verify them as trustworthy, the Bible has more overwhelming evidence for why it is a trustworthy document and you can trust what it's written in it as accurate more than any other document of antiquity that we have today. And it's not even close. When you read the Bible, don't read the Bible as if it's a manual, roadmap, science book, unreliable document, or irrelevant. Number two, when you read how not to read the Bible, like it's a story about you and you're the hero. Bible's not about you. You ain't David overcoming your giants in your world. No. David 
killed Goliath. That's what that story's about, not about you. It's the story of the Bible is not a story about you. It's a story about God. And oftentimes we read ourselves into the text because we like to be the hero of our story. Well, Jesus did it like this. Well, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be like that. And okay, okay. There are some things that we can learn and apply to our life. Principles, those are good. But we aren't paralleled. It's not a, we're, we're not the story. We're not the hero of our story. And if every time you read the Bible, it's about how you're victorious and overcoming and you're the hero, you're reading the Bible wrong. Some of you are like, dang, this has got heavy real quick. Let me give you a third one. This is fun. Uh, How not to read the Bible like it's only a theological treatise. Are there theological truths in the Bible? Yes. Do we study the Bible to know about our theology of God, our, our study of God? Yes. Is it only that? No, it is so much more than that. Number four, how not to read the Bible like it's written to you today. This is why we often have trouble like interpreting the Bible because we're trying to take an ancient Near East agricultural context and throw it into our modern context as if it was for us. The Bible was not written to you. It is for you, but it was written to some other people for a very specific purpose. Like the letter to Timothy was written to, shocker, I know, Timothy. Answering some questions specific that Timothy had. It's not written to you. It is for us, yes, but it's not written to you. It, it's helpful to have that understanding. No, number five, don't, how not to read the Bible like it's the ultimate argument trump card. Well, the Bible says, and that's it. And we try to like close down conversations of people who are exploring and trying to understand and be like, well, that's what the Bible says, and that's all there is to it. Okay, okay. But, but that's not what the Bible, the Bible isn't like, a thumping ground book where we just beat people up telling them to believe like we believe. Well, I think it's right to help and listen and explore and listen with humility. And, 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 and. To just quote scripture at your grandkids who are growing up in a world that is non-biblical viewed world will not help your grandchildren fall in love with Jesus. We're living in a world where most people are not growing up with a biblical worldview. And so to argue, well, the Bible says, is not perhaps the best starting point. And so when you're reading the Bible, don't read it to win an argument. That's how not to read the Bible. And then here's the last one. How not to read the Bible? Like an American. Listen, I I am. Tomorrow... Man, that time went quick. I'm okay. Sorry. I've got two different timers. I like that one better. It's got more time on it. Tomorrow, I'm going to take some time and reflect and pray as September 11th hits. I love our nation. I'm grateful to grow up in the environment and the nation that we are. We are blessed but the Bible isn't a handbook for how to make America great again. The promises to Israel aren't promises that we can just automatically translate to America. And often we get ourselves into trouble when not only do we read ourselves as the hero, often we read our nation as the hero. Jesus is the hero of the story. And he's actually inviting us to full allegiance to him as king alone. And there's something important about how we approach the scripture in that way. So so that's how we don't approach the scripture. How should we read the Bible? Let me give you some of those things. When you read the Bible, read it aloud and slowly. Out loud and slowly. Why read it out loud? Because when you read it out loud, your brain stays engaged ever read like a a passage or a chapter and be like, I don't remember reading any of this. Let me go back. My brain has trailed off. But when you're reading out loud, your brain has to stay engaged with what you're reading. So read it out loud and read it slowly. 
I cannot tell you the number of times I have been preaching and reading the text. It happened just this morning, just today in this service. As I was reading the story, there were some things that I noticed in the text that I had never noticed before. Why? Because I was reading it slowly and aloud. There were some things today that Pastor Carrie, when she was leading us in communion in Hebrews chapter 2, I've read Hebrews chapter 2 numerous, I don't know how many times I've read, I've read that chapter so many times in my life. But as she was reading it out loud and I was hearing it, the Lord was making some connections for me that I had never seen in the text. Some of you are like, well, tell me what it is. No, not today. It's not the point of the message. When you read out loud and you read slowly, it helps you to meditate. The word meditate means to mutter aloud. Meditating on the word of God, the Bible says, is actually how we mature and grow and become flourishing in our lives. Meditate on the word of God so that you will not depart away from the truths of God's word. And you'll find yourself flourishing in life. There's something about meditating on God's word. Read it out loud and read it slowly. Here's another one. When you read the Bible, know what genre you are reading. The Bible is a library, not a book. Let me show you this image. This is going to help you if you want to pull out your phone and take a snap photo of it. You can. The 66 books of the Bible are written in different kind of genres. They're not all the same. You have poetry, and you have personal correspondence, and you have some prophetic writings, and you've got law and legal codes. You have poetry and biography and, and, and lamentations and wisdom literature and prescriptive literature. The Bible is not a singular book. It is a library of many types of writing. So you need to read it in genre. Know what type of literature you're reading when you're reading the Bible. And this image kind of breaks down the categories or the genre of each book of the Bible. And it's really, really helpful to know what kind of writing you're reading. So you can interpret it and understand it a little bit more accurately. Because if you're reading the book of Revelation and you're trying to be absolutely literal, trying to figure out what the mark of the beast is, you're going to misunderstand it. Well, it's 666, Pastor. No, it's actually not. I mean, it is, but it's not. I piqued half of your interest because the numbers are all biblical language in an apocalyptic writing style to illustrate something else. It's not meant to be read 100% literally. And so we misunderstand so many things. And when you're reading the book of Revelation, literally, and as an American, you will take the headlines of our news and try to read them into the text. But the Bible can't mean something to us that it didn't mean to the original audience. It's really important that we understand the type of writings that we're reading. Here's another one. When you're reading the Bible, I hope this is helpful for you. I'm trying to make it as practical and cookies on the bottom shelf for all of us. When you read the Bible, know where in the storyline you're reading. Is it before sin comes into the world? Is it before Jesus comes, after Jesus comes, before the Spirit, Holy Spirit is poured out, after the Holy Spirit comes? Is it where in the storyline? Take, take a look at this next image. This is actually from within the book, How Not to Read the Bible. Lifted it out. In fact, I've got it on some printed cards and on your way out today. If you want one of these, they are available for you. Just one-time payment of $75 made out to Matthew Hunt Ministries. I'm just, just kidding. They're 100% free. Take one, put it in your Bible. Why? Because it's, it's showing you from a big picture perspective what is the storyline of the arc of the Bible? Where, where in the redemption story are we? Where in the, the renewal of all things are we? Is this with Jesus, before Jesus, with the Spirit, after the Spirit? Is it during the rebellion? Is it during the exile? Is it during the silent period of time? Where are we reading at in, in the Bible? And this will really, really help you understand some of the storyline of of the Bible. When you read the Bible, read the context, not an isolated verse. In other words, there are verses that mean something. Let's take this one. This is kind of low-hanging fruit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Great verse. Highly motivating. It's not really to help you lift more weight on your bench press than you did the day before. 
Paul is actually talking about in context, not that you can do anything superhuman if you pray the right prayers and rub it right together and click your heels three times that you can do whatever you want in God's name. The verse is actually about how with the strength of the Spirit, you can be content when you're dealing with troubled times. So when crap has hit the fan, you can stay strong and have faith in Jesus. That's what the verse is actually about. You're suffering. Not me as a scared 14-year-old in the batter's box about to face a guy who's pitching 95 miles an hour at my head as a skinny little kid thinking I'm about to die. It brought me some comfort and courage to quote the scripture, but it's not really what the scripture meant. So read the context. Read the verses. Read the chapter before and the chapter after. It's said in a context so that you can understand the whole of what is being being said, I've been reading, reading um, the, the book of Ecclesiastes right now uh, with some friends, and we've been texting uh, uh, about the book. And uh, every every time we're reading, there's like a verse, and we're like, "Man, that verse is so depressing." When you just read like one verse, you're like, "It's all meaningless." <laughs> and I'm continually reminding guys, guys, read the whole context. It's not that this one thing is pointless. It's that our perspective on earth isn't the same as the perspective of eternity. That the value systems we have now aren't meant to be the value systems we... And so we're constantly saying, read the whole context, guys. Get into it. And we're having great conversations, which leads me into this next way to read the Bible. When you read the Bible, read with curiosity and community. This is why we encourage you to get in a small group, a connect group. So you can just talk about what you're learning in our Sunday messages. And you're going to hear some things and learn some things and hear a different perspective of the truth and the story. And you're like, oh, that's, that's really helpful. Read with curiosity. Oh, I wonder, wonder what that word means. I wonder why, why did they put that? Why did they say it that way? I wonder if something was going on in the culture that the Apostle Paul was addressing as to why some people have their head covered and some people don't have their head covered. Like, I wonder what's going on there. Like, read with some curiosity. There's a difference between asking questions to learn and questioning to be critical. Don't let a critical spirit grow in you, but develop critical thinking. Thinking and examining and wondering and exploring. That's good. That's a good thing. There are study resources like getting a good study Bible, going to places like Bible Gateway, where you have free commentaries and where you can click on a word and understand what that word meant in Hebrew and Greek and kind of get a better historical context even. There's software out there like Logos Bible Software, which I use almost daily. I got some good investment into it, but they have a free version that anyone can download, have it on any device or view on any web browser. And you can read the scripture and click on it. And it'll like give some commentaries and it'll give you the words and use some resources that are available for free, available to you to begin to explore and understand more about what the verses and the context and the things are saying. Study and learn. Get curious about it, guys. Be curious about some things. And then finally, when you read the Bible, look for truth about God. For years, I used an acronym SOAP to journal and do my time in the Word. And, and, and SOAP stood for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. We've taught it. A few years ago, we revamped it and launched SOAP 2.0 journals. And we changed one element of it. Scripture, observation, and ask. Instead of coming to the text and trying to find ourselves in it and how do I live this, it's better to stop and ask, God, what do you want to tell me about you in this text? Help me see Jesus in this text. Help me see and know you as I read 
your story, your words for me, your invitation to get to know you better. Why is that important? Here's why. Ephesians chapter four says it like this. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son so that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. In other words, we're not going to have a crisis of faith because we saw somebody say something on TikTok. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Read this whole passage just to get you that phrase. More and more like Christ. Why do we read the Bible? Why do we want to know the story of God? Because when we know the story of God, we begin to know God clearly. And when we know God clearly, we begin to live more like God in our world. What we behold, what we see, what we think about, we become. What we behold, we become. This is why your children act more like you based on what you do than what you say. They're little reflections of how you live in your life. Because what they behold, they become. Our oldest, if you were to look at her and really kind of know both sides of our family, you would find out that she actually looks like my side of the family. But most people, when they meet my daughter and they see her standing next to her mom, they're like, oh my gosh, y'all are exactly the same. Like the height, the blonde hair, like the blue eyes, like some, they're like, oh my gosh, they are so the same. And here's why that's tricky. In reality, she looks more like my family, but her mannerisms are identical to her mother. I mean, hold on, let me rephrase that. They are identical to her mother. Positive. We're just, just trying to stay off the couch. Why? Because she has spent so much time beholding and seeing and knowing her mom, she can't help but live and look like her mom. What we behold, we become. Don't look for yourself in the Bible. Look for God in the Bible. Because when you see him, you'll behold him and ultimately begin to become like him. There's something called a mirror neuron. It's in your brain. Don't freak out. God made it that way. And these mirror neurons are designed to mimic actions that you see. In fact, they did a study on these mirror neurons on monkeys. And they kind of hardwired the brains of the monkeys and and they did certain hand gestures that humans would do. And they had the, the, the monkey watching them and over time, repeatedly seeing the actions and the motions that they did, the monkeys began to mimic what they saw. Ever heard the phrase monkey see, monkey do? God has hardwired into your brain to become like what you behold. The mirror neurons in your brain. In other words, you are living out the story to which you have seen played out. When we get into the story of God, when we begin to get in community with other believers, we begin to live and mirror and mimic their life, their story, their testimony, their witness we begin to behold and become like Christ as we each become and learn and behold like Christ. This is the power of the church gathered together that when we begin to worship, some of you, nobody's ever had to tell you to lift your hands. You walked in here like, oh, I guess we lift our hands when we worship. Yes, we do. Like why? why? It's 
we're constantly mirroring what we see to be true of God and we're mirroring it for one another so that we can become more like Christ together. Can we stand as we, as we close? God, we want to become more like you. We want to reflect you. So Lord, help us to behold you so that we become like you. May we see the truth of your word revealed in Jesus so that we know how to live and relate to you, Father. That's why you sent Jesus to mirror for us how to have right relationship and know you, Father. So God, give us a hunger for your word and your story so that we can reflect and know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.